This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. By any measure, literary, theological, or otherwise, Canto 30 of Dante's Purgatorio would be a slam-dunk choice to make the Divine Comedy's all-star canto team. It is here that we witness a momentous reunion, one whose intense emotional power has resonated down the centuries, not only with readers, but with artists and thinkers of every stripe. This reunion also brings the story we have been following for 64 cantos full circle. The person Dante encounters here is the same individual who has initiated the action of the entire comedy. Her intercession is what set Dante the Pilgrim on the road that has brought him through hell and purgatory to the pristine beauty of the earthly paradise. In short, this canto has it all. Drama, surprise, symbolism, and a densely woven fabric of theological, moral, and spiritual thought. In fact, some critics have argued that Dante the Poet attempts so much here that language itself strains under the weight of the meaning. But I'm getting ahead of myself. As the canto begins, it is worth recalling what has become immediately before. The grand procession, which some scholars have termed a mask after a type of medieval play with allegorical characters, that ushers in the throng representing the church triumphant. It is a spectacle that would put even the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade to shame. We've seen the theological and cardinal virtues, the books of Holy Scripture, and a chariot representing the church pulled by a mythical beast, the griffin, half eagle, half lion, representing Jesus Christ in his dual nature as both fully God and fully man. Now, as Canto 30 begins, the camera zooms in. What we see here is a more intimate exchange, the dazzle of the whole pageant focused as if by a magnifying glass into a tight beam of white-hot light. The procession comes to a halt, and we hear a series of three brief phrases. First, from the highly erotic Song of Songs in the Old Testament, Come, Bride of Lebanon. This love song, filled with sensual imagery, has traditionally been read by Christians as an allegory of the church's bridal relationship to Christ. Then, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The words shouted by the crowd on Palm Sunday as Christ is welcomed into Jerusalem. Finally, a phrase from the Aeneid by none other than Dante's guide to this point in the poem, Virgil himself. With full hands give lilies. Like any set of literary allusions, these quotes evoke a complex series of resonances between the source material and the present usage. But the overall theme is clear. We are present at a mystical marriage, one that expresses both mutual adoration and, as we shall soon see, 
the need for truth, honesty, and self-giving. All attention now turns to the chariot drawn by the griffin. We see a woman with a white veil, cloaked in green and red, allegorically speaking, the colors representing faith, hope, and love. Suddenly, Dante the pilgrim recognizes Beatrice, the girl he has loved from the age of nine. Suddenly he feels once more, quote, the old, old love in all its mastering might, close quote. What the pilgrim does next is a very human thing. He immediately turns to share his joy in recognizing Beatrice with his traveling companion, Virgil. His words even quote another phrase from Virgil, yet another affectionate tribute to his guide and master. Speaking of how Beatrice now stirs, quote, the embers of an ancient flame, close quote. A phrase spoken by Anchises in the Aeneid. But when Dante turns around, Virgil is gone, and he is bereft. Tears start from his eyes. Oh, he had left us, and we stood orphaned of him. No sooner do these tears fall than Beatrice upbraids him. Dante, weep not for Virgil's going, for soon another sword shall give thee cause to weep. Beatrice is described not only as being regal in bearing, a queen, but somewhat startlingly as an admiral who comes to the poop deck to rally his fleet for battle. Here we have to pause to ask ourselves what the heck is going on. It's enough to make your head spin. The emotional territory traversed over just a few lines seems immense and disconcerting. It is true that Dante was told early on, and in no uncertain terms by Virgil himself, that the poet could only guide him through hell and purgatory, because as a pagan who has not experienced salvation through Christ, he cannot fathom the mysteries of heaven. But we might have expected at least some sort of fond leave-taking. Instead, we get this sudden disappearance. There is no doubt that Dante the poet is up to something. Only a couple cantos earlier, Virgil had saluted the pilgrim as one whose sins had been purged, whose will had become truly free. Virgil says, I crown and mitre you, Lord of yourself. So the pilgrim's tears of grief for losing his friend are not sinful in themselves. And there is no way around it. Beatrice's reproof feels harsh. Allegorically speaking, Virgil as reason disappears the moment Beatrice as faith steps in. But knowing Dante the poet as we do by now, we can hope that he is not merely stomping on our very human response to the pilgrim's grief. We can hope, that is, for a both-and solution rather than one that makes everything either-or. We have become familiar with the Christian dialectic that Dante has elaborated so brilliantly, the pairing of the way of affirmation and the way of negation. The way of affirmation relies on analogy and metaphor. Lesser worldly things can give us an inkling of higher spiritual things. 
but the way of negation is a necessary partner, a reminder that all worldly analogies ultimately break down before the mystery and majesty of God. A brilliant summary of the tension between these two ways was offered by Charles Williams, the 20th century Christian writer who was a friend of C.S. Lewis. He wrote, This also is thou, neither is this thou. The pilgrim's human affection for Virgil and his grief at losing him arise from the way of affirmation, which upholds friendship as a spiritual good. But at the same time, any worldly thing can become an idol instead of an icon, and so we have to be willing to let go, to look forward rather than merely backward. Otherwise, we get lost in sentimental nostalgia and regrets. I think Dante the poet wants to have his cake and eat it too, to feel the goodness of both ways, but in an unsentimental fashion. Which also explains the second half of the canto, because the entire second part of Canto 30 is taken up with what can only be called Beatrice's serious butt-kicking of the pilgrim. Before a few final words about the latter part of the canto, one other consideration is relevant here. We may now be in a position to understand how the heavenly pageant that we've witnessed has shifted gears from the previous canto to this one. In Canto 29, the procession represented the first coming of Christ, his arrival in the Incarnation. Now, through the ministration of Beatrice, in Canto 30, the pageant has become a representation of the second coming of Christ, that is, in judgment. Now, to contemporary ears, the word judgment itself signifies nothing but harshness. But that was not how the Christian poet Dante understood the term. Above all, judgment in this context means simply facing the truth of things, however difficult that might be. Beatrice's spelling out of Dante's failings, his straying from the path after her own death, is intended to clear the air, to make things right. As she says at the end of the canto, it would not be right for Dante to cross the river Lethe, which is about forgetting, without confessing his sins. The pilgrim may have free will, but he must exercise that will by making a confession. In a sense, Beatrice's narration of the pilgrim's story, his getting lost in the dark wood, is her jump-starting of his confession. Think of her as a one-woman truth and reconciliation committee. In the face of her dusting down, Dante's eyes naturally look away and down in shame. For a brief moment, he sees himself reflected in the water of the stream, but quickly moves his eyes away. He doesn't want to become another Narcissus. Because, precisely, the pilgrim's will is free, he has the courage to face the truth of things. So he acknowledges the healthful medicine of Beatrice's severe compassion in the words of the Henry Wadsworth Longfellow translation. Which brings us back to the marriage imagery from earlier in the canto. What better way to help us understand the way love calls us to transparency, humility, and the need for forgiveness than marriage? True, Dante didn't marry Beatrice, 
but his love for her is at the heart of what Charles Williams called Dante's romantic theology. Human love as an analogy for divine love. In other words, the way of affirmation. Beatrice thus represents Christ, mediates Christ to the pilgrim. It is worth reminding ourselves how very bold and daring Dante's method is in this regard. His insistence that he was set on the path to Christ by a very human woman he first saw on a street in Florence is a far cry from speaking of God in generalized terms. But this is how God works. Only through the particular do we attain the universal. This is how he came to earth, befriending a few people and then asking them to represent him down the centuries to others. The incarnation itself has been called the scandal of particularity. I'd like to conclude with a few words from Annie Dillard. That Christ's incarnation occurred improbably, ridiculously, at such and such a time, in such and such a place, is referred to with great sincerity among believers as the scandal of particularity. Well, the scandal of particularity is the only world that I, in particular, know. We're all up to our necks in this particular scandal. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Torrey Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.